I love living in liminal space because to me, it's such a hopeful place. It means that I'm changing, that I'm not who I was yesterday. I mean, even Alice in Wonderland, she says, now let me think, am I the same person I was this morning? I don't think I am. And that's the way prayer is for me. This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Betwixt podcast in partnership with MissyAlliance.org. I'm Deb Gregory, and I'm holding conversations at the intersection of faith and culture. Most Betwixt topics are either about people, places, or practices that are in a middle space betwixt and between one thing and another. In today's episode, we're going to explore a practice that I know you will have at least some familiarity with. It's the practice of prayer. So let me say up front that it's not a practice that I've mastered by any means, but it is something that I'm really intrigued by and find to be extremely formational. But I also have lots and lots of questions about prayer. And so from time to time, I plan to host guests who have introduced me to new or transformational ways of thinking about or even practicing prayer. So at the end of this episode, I'm going to give you a chance to participate in a guided prayer. Now, this might be a little awkward in a podcast, but you know what? Let's just give it a try. I just ask that if you're driving or flying an airplane or something that you'd pause, find a comfortable place to pull over where you can be safe and undistracted. And you might want to grab some paper and something to write with. I'll give you a heads up before the prayer begins so that you can pause until ready. And so now let me introduce you to my guest. Alice, thank you so much for, for joining me. And Alice Freiling is spiritual director and author of several books, including The Art of Spiritual Listening, Seeking God Together, and Mirror for the Soul, which is her hot-off-the-press book on the Enneagram. Her books have been impactful for me, and so I was really excited to meet her at a retreat at Cedar Campus in Michigan. I just realized these chairs are so squeaky. Well, I'll try not to wiggle a lot. And sometimes you meet someone just briefly, but they end up making a lasting impression. And that's what it was like for me to meet Alice and her husband, Bob. And so as you listen to this conversation, I hope that it will make a lasting impact on you as well. Can you tell me about your upcoming book? The upcoming book is Mirror for the Soul, and it's a Christian introduction to the Enneagram. My introduction talks about Alice in Wonderland going into the looking glass house, and everything is backwards. And I think the Enneagram takes things in our lives that seem to be backwards and gives us a true reflection of who we are. That's a really good description. Well, I like Alice in Wonderland, so <laughs> had to go with that. I'd like to hear from you about your, your first memory of prayer. How were you introduced to prayer? Actually, I'm not sure that I ever was introduced to prayer because I didn't grow up in a praying family at all. Um, as I look back on it, I know as a very young child, I can remember longing, really longing for God. And I think perhaps that longing was prayer. I would never have called it that. My first memory of what I would call prayer 
had to do with the good humor ice cream truck that came to our neighborhood almost every night. And I loved the ice cream man. And then for several nights, he didn't come. And so one night I prayed that the ice cream man would come the next night, and he did. And so I don't necessarily agree with my perception of prayer at this point, but at that time I thought, oh, God answers prayer because the ice cream man came. How did your concept of prayer change over the years? Well, it definitely changed. I think I continued to pray for things that I wanted or things that I wanted to see happen in someone else's life. But in more recent years, I'm actually disinclined to make a lot of suggestions to God. The first time I noticed that was when my daughter, one of my daughters was away at college and she was having a lot of typical college students kind of issues. And I remember talking with her and just hanging up the phone. And the first thing I thought of was, God, I don't even have any suggestions for you. And since then, I've looked back and I thought, you know, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> I think I think I, I don't want to make suggestions to God. And when I pray for myself or pray for other people, sometimes it almost feels a little arrogant as though, God, if you haven't thought of this, this is a really good idea. And please make it happen. And I, I just, that now feels a little offensive to me as a way of prayer. So I pray with less words. I don't make as many suggestions. For me, prayer is sitting in the presence of God and noticing actually the longing of my heart and just being in God's presence in light of that longing. The longing of my heart might be for myself, but it might be on behalf of someone else. It's quite a shift. It is. That might sound shocking to a lot of people um, because that's often the only way we're taught to pray is through supplications or making a request known to God. How do you think that shift happened for you? If I'm really honest about it, it probably happened because I began to realize that my other way of praying didn't work. You know, if you pray that God will help my daughter get over this problem and then she doesn't get over it, then is the problem the way I'm praying or is the problem her or worse yet is the problem God? So I think I had a lot of discomfort in my prayer failures. And I think I had some discomfort in, there are some prayers that are almost like ego prayers. And I can see that in myself. Oh, for instance, if you're having a meeting and you hope a lot of people come and a lot of people come, then you want to say, oh, I prayed that a lot of people would come. <laughs> I must be a really good prayer. And I think a lot of our prayers are ego prayers like that. I wish I didn't do that as much. So one way to get out of that is just not to use so many words. Can you talk a little bit about the, the longings and the desires that we're aware of or unaware of as we pray? And what do we do with that longing and those desires when we come before God in prayer? Well, I think of prayer as communion with God. And when I think of communion with God, I think of a parallel to the marriage relationship. So both in marriage and in prayer, I think there's something about, this is what I long for, this is what I think I need. But we don't come to our spouse and say, with, I mean, sometimes we come with expectations that the dishes will get done, but we don't come with expectations that our spouse will meet every need. We just express them, and the communion comes in the expression of it. I think more and more lately, I've been noticing what I'm thinking, but also what I'm feeling. And I try to put words to both, but the feeling part is kind of new for me. So 
fear is an issue for me. And I think in the olden days, I probably would have prayed, oh God, I'm sorry, help me not be afraid, help me not be afraid, please. Oh, I'm still afraid, please help me not to be afraid. And now I'm just more apt to say, I'm afraid. Amen. And that's my prayer without a lot of suggestions to God about it. It's just expressing the particular anxiety I'm having. And again, it's a little bit like marriage where we come and we share something with our spouse. We just express it and there is something about talking about it that is healing when it's received. And I, more and more I am thinking that God receives that. When I surrender my need for control or my need for security about having enough energy the next day, and I think that kind of surrender is a big influence in my relationship with God. It's like, oh, I don't have to take care of this myself. Wow. Prayer is surrender. David Benner says that surrender sounds like the squeal of a pig going to slaughter, but it's actually the scream of new birth. Yes, that's a very auditory <laughs> illustration. So speaking of new birth, the central theme of the podcast is this liminal space, um, that transition between one thing and another. And um, I love this quote by Richard Rohr. We have to allow ourselves to be drawn into sacred space, into liminal space. All transformation takes place there. How do you respond to that quote? Do you agree with that? Does it resonate with you in any way? Well, the first time I read Richard Rohr using that term, I had to go to my dictionary for liminal space. <laughs> and it does seem to be an in-between space. But I knew I loved that word. I love living in liminal space because to me, it's such a hopeful place. It means that I'm changing, that I'm not who I was yesterday. I mean, even Alice in Wonderland, when I was looking her up and, you know, for my book, and I found, you know, she says, now let me think, am I the same person I was this morning? I don't think I am. And I love that. I love that I can change. I would despair if I thought I couldn't change. So I love that. In fact, the other day when I was thinking about liminal space, I all of a sudden realized that when I journal, I always journal in pencil. In terms of liminal space, I thought on some subliminal level, I like pencil because it can be erased and it's not quite as permanent as ink. So what I'm journaling today seems really important to me, but tomorrow it'll be a little bit different. And that's the way prayer is for me. I mean, prayer is very much liminal space. So I come to God with what I am feeling, that would be the present moment, a little bit maybe what I wish I were feeling or what I hope would happen. But then in the quiet of the moment, I may change. I do change. I mean, it's tremendously exciting. Yeah, it's an interesting tension in that space, right? I grew up with kind of a transactional mm -hmm. understanding of prayer. You know, I say this to God and follow my adoration, my confession. You know, mm -hmm. I can do all these kind of one-directional discourse, I guess, to God <laughs> and believe that he's listening. And I think, you know, there's a wonderful space to praise and worship God in that way. But I think it was a new thought for me that prayer is when we enter into conversation with God, not to convince him of our will, but in that space to be transformed to understand his will. I was thinking the other day about um, 
when Bob and I have met with couples and we've talked about marital communication, and I don't know where this quote came from, but it's stuck with me. I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. And that speaks volumes to what happens in marriage. I know you believe you understand what you think I said. But then in prayer, sometimes I have this sense of God saying to me, but I'm not sure you really understood what I meant here. So I have an idea of what is truth, and then I, as I sit, usually in quiet and keep my mouth shut, truth about God may change, and it usually moves in the direction of grace, or truth about myself may change, and that's often that what is disturbing me is not quite so disturbing as I thought it was. It is a truth and a grace experience, and I think that happens in this liminal space of prayer. Yeah, I like that, the truth and the grace. Can you just talk a little bit about listening in prayer? I hear many people in my circle who are not acquainted with this idea that you might speak to God and then take some time to listen. It's very awkward. Well, what you're talking about is what other people would call a prayer of silence. I'm not sure I understand it. What I have experienced in silence is that I can come into a time of silence very stressed about things in my life, and I come out of the time of silence with more of a clarity and a peace. I mean, that doesn't, there are some days when I just say, God, this isn't working, I'm out of here. <laughs> I've got to go get done what needs to get done. But when I can quiet myself down and be quiet, there are so many times when things just have a clarity, and I realize that what I was so disturbed about is no longer so disturbing. Um, so I think that's a time where God listens to me, listens to my frustrations and anxiety, and then I, I, I understand the word listening to God, and I would use the word listening to God, but for me it's almost more of a time of silence, like when Elijah heard the gentle whisper of the Spirit, or the other translation, he heard sheer silence. Sometimes I listen and thoughts come to mind. Most of the time it's just kind of a settling of my heart. I mean, in offering spiritual direction to people, or just in talking with people who have brought something like this up, I just think silence in prayer has to come in little baby steps. I can remember talking to a lawyer friend one time, and I said, do you think you could just like take five minutes at the beginning of the day to be quiet? And without missing a beat, he answered me, would you settle for one or two minutes? And I thought, yep, <laughs> yep. And when I lead groups, if I ask people to be quiet for two minutes, it seems like a really long time. And then I tell people, you know, I say, you know, that was only two minutes. So that, I think, is a little bit motivating, because if it can seem so long, then but it's only two minutes, then maybe I could do that tomorrow morning, too. I know that sometimes my perspectives change um, as I be quiet enough to be aware that God is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's it, the, the I am. And what I think is interesting that happens in me is sometimes my image of God changes. Not that God changes in any mm -hmm. way, but that's one of the things that I'm kind of drawn to with prayer's liminal space is that it does seem to free this God-in-a-box mm -hmm. <laughs> syndrome that I often have. 
and just experience a different perspective of God than I had before. I think that's in the category of, I know you believe you understand what you're what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. And it's often in prayer where I understand a little more who I think God really is. We do know that God is love. So a lot of times in prayer, that's where I end up. If I think I'm hearing something from God that seems very harsh and not like a loving father, then I think, okay, maybe I'm not hearing this quite right. That's like not just taking God out of the box, it's throwing the box away (laughs) because it becomes so personal. What does it mean that God loves me? It's kind of liberating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You talk in your book, The Art of Spiritual Listening, um, you say that prayer is a wonderful and frustrating mystery. Can you talk a little bit about your own struggle with prayer and what practices or revelations have kind of helped you as you've cultivated a different style of prayer than you did with the ice cream truck? (laughs) I haven't given that up completely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've expanded my view of prayer. I would say my greatest frustration in prayer is in terms of intercession, because I have trouble assuming that I know how to pray for someone else, I have learned to depend upon members of the body of Christ who I think are really gifted in intercession. I have one good friend who, I mean, we we talk a lot about this, and I actually have told her that I'm jealous of her ability to intercede. And she looks at me as though, you mean you can't do that? And, well, I can, but not the way she can. Someone said, pray as you can and not as you can't. So I feel very free to depend upon others for intercession. A couple of the practices that help me, one is when I pray, I try to use words of Scripture rather than my own words. If someone has experienced like a grief of losing someone that they love through death, I can pray that God will give them peace beyond understanding. It's something that God promises, and it's peace, and it's beyond my understanding, their understanding, so I call up those words. Then I've done a little bit with praying with passages of Scripture and just picturing someone I love walking toward Jesus on water or picturing the boat being still, the storm quieting down. I was thinking just last week about a young mom I know whose daughter has a lot of struggles, and I actually printed out the passage of the woman with the crumbs. She came to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal her daughter, and he said, well, you're not in the inner circle. And she said, yes, but even the dogs can pick up the crumbs. So it's a confusing passage. But I thought, okay, I want to have this kind of faith and picturing this woman coming to Jesus and saying, heal. There are a lot of daughters that are healed in the Gospels, so I'm not stuck with just one passage there. I want to go to some other passages and just picture this daughter being healed. That's a good thing for me to do. I would like to do more of that. It's easy for me to get caught up in my prayer failures and get stuck there. So that's something that I might do to get out of my stuckness. Alice talked about a picture prayer. And as we conclude, we're going to walk through a prayer exercise taken from the story of Jesus calming the sea. 
It's found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And this is kind of an abridged version of a prayer exercise that I learned from Alice. If you'd like to join me, feel free to pause the podcast, grab some paper and something to write with, settle into a comfortable and safe place where you can close your eyes and use your imagination. You're going to hear a bell followed by a few minutes of sacred music. And I want to encourage you to take that time just to get quiet and to settle your mind. As you hear the story of Jesus calming the stormy sea, picture yourself in the scene. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. 
and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? As you picture the scene unfolding, where do you place yourself in the boat? Notice how you feel as the wind jostles the boat and the waves pound on deck. What are you holding on to? Think about the storms in your own life. On your paper, draw a rough sketch of a boat with wave caps surrounding it. And on the waves, write down some of your fears and your anxieties. As you hear the passage again, imagine yourself in the stern, holding on to Jesus. Maybe you're, you're one of the people shaking him awake. Now bring the storms of your life, the waves, the fears, bring them to his attention. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the boat, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
as you picture Jesus calming the storm, saying, Peace, be still, how would you like to respond to him? Take a few minutes now just to sit with Jesus in the stern of the boat, in the stern of your boat, here and now. May the peace of Christ be with you. Amen.